0: You're getting some deep, sexy morning voice from me today. (laughs) I'm going to do my best to hold on to this because this is good. (laughs) Oh, dear. Just put it on the big speakers and turn up the bass. I'm overwhelmed by the sexiness.
1: So you're going to Dub Dub DC this
0: year? I am going to Dub Dub this year. Yeah, I'm very excited. I am so disappointed. I am too, especially because you told me you were going and I was like, sweet, if Matt's going, I'll definitely go. And I booked everything and then you were like, eh, I'm not going to (laughs) go. I just, you know, I I got really excited about it. I know. But then I didn't get a ticket
1: and then (laughs) I, I tried to make some meetings and everybody was like, Uh, dude, you realize it's, it's WWDC. Like I I can't meet with you this week. I've got so much to do. Oh my gosh. I basically had that email like four times and I was like, right, it's going to cost all this
0: money to go out there. And then I'm just going to watch it. On the TV? Yeah. No, that's not great. It's the right call to not go in that case. I did get a ticket, and I'm very excited. I'm very interested to know what we're going to get. I don't, I haven't been following any rumors or anything, uh, but I'm fully expecting something like dark mode on iOS or something that's going to keep us quite busy between dub and, dub and the fall when the when iOS 13 goes out. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think it would be great, like the OLED screen lends itself to stuff
0: like that so well. Oh. I know. Do you think that Apple will do like hotels do and they'll skip 13 and go right to 14? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Matt, should we dive into some uh, Facebook breach time? Uh, this week? Uh, you mean Watchtower Weekly? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, jeez, That's right. Sorry, I'm just so used to every week us talking about a new Facebook thing. Surely we don't have anything to talk about this week, though, right? Like Facebook had a week where everything was good, no crazy breaches, no people's data wasn't exposed. Like we can talk about something else, right? No videos of Mark Zuckerberg eating dry toast. <laughs> God, please don't bring up the toast again. We can't. We can't get into that again.
1: <laughs> I th- feel like my legacy is is that. Is how good that was. Beep, boop, beep. I love toast. (laughs) That's got to be the jingle for Facebook breach time.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, no. So what's it about this week, Ru? Uh, The latest Facebook security breach by... (laughs) Finds millions of records on Amazon servers. Uh, the register.co.uk uh, reports that detailed information about more than 540 million Facebook users was left publicly viewable for months. So this is in addition to the, how was it like? was it 20,000 or something that we reported on the last time, which was just on the internal company servers. Now this is just public servers, you know, go nuts. Get 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 your Facebook uh, logins here.
1: I mean, specifically that last one was terrible because it was it was passwords. This one, it's like account IDs and comments and reactions. But it's still pretty bad because it does bypass, you know, es- essentially all the privacy settings that you've gone through the trouble of, of setting, and you know, they've got their little privacy dinosaur that makes you feel right at home. Of, of saying, mm-hmm. you know, oh, no, don't worry, no one will see these comments apart from your friends of friends or friends of friends of friends. Oh, yeah, turns out they don't care about that, and they
0: just left it there on a giant public server. <laughs> um, this, this very much goes back to what I said, uh, on the last show or the show before, where I said, you know, whatever you post to Facebook. Just assume that it's that it's public. Just there is no such thing as a private Facebook post. It doesn't exist. So if you're going to post it to Facebook, eventually it's going to get out there. This
1: news broke just days after Zuckerberg surprised the world by calling for more regulation on, on data and privacy and suggesting that the U.S. should adopt, you know, Europe's data protection rules. Please no cookie law or anything like that. <laughs> but like, you know, that they should be stronger on privacy. And um, to be honest, I think. He knows about as much about, you know, what the world should do in terms of privacy as he does about buttering toast. You
0: can't. You can't keep going back to that well. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm going to leave at that point until people understand how weird it is. I love it. We'll put the link to the YouTube clip in the the show notes this week. I do feel like we're kind of repeating ourselves over and over again. I will say what I said last time. It's not in Facebook's DNA to be a privacy-oriented company. It's just not. So they can talk about it all they like, it doesn't mean anything. It just doesn't mean anything coming from them. They can they can, they can put regulation in, you know, push for regulation. Sure. I don't think it's actually going to change how they do business. I think that that is too big of a ship to turn. It's just not going to happen.
1: And it, and it is worth saying that this was an app from Facebook. It wasn't them themselves. But the, the fact that you can do this inside their system is terrible because, it you know, it does put facebook in the in the bad light here it is interesting that he is talking about privacy and stuff like that and that they should be more like europe and at the same time he can't control third party developers on his platform and the privacy there
0: this is where they failed yeah i wonder what's the purpose of him saying this because this seems to me like if you want to affect change you are in control of a company, you could affect this change for you. Uh, Why harp on the need for regulation? Like, is he also taking steps to sort of try and push this ahead internally? Or is this just like a saving face sort of scenario? This this seems more like a a situation where they should be showing us, not telling us. Yeah, I think actions speak louder than words here. All right, now that we're done with the Facebook minute for the week, let's get on to some Watchtower Weekly. Let's move on to my
1: second favorite robot human,
0: Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sophos.com reports uh that researchers trick tesla's autopilot into driving into oncoming traffic now i don't know why this strikes me as so funny because it's definitely terrifying but man uh what a headline it's fantastic in so many ways this is terrible isn't it yeah the
1: lane assistance is is what happened here and essentially they can put some markings on the
0: road and the, the car reads them it's funny because like i read this and i'm like yeah that's bad and also i'm completely unsurprised by it they have found a way to hack a computer okay i mean like that's effectively what this comes down to and yes this this particular computer has four wheels and and passengers i still think that autopilot and enhanced autopilot in tesla is, is a safer way to drive than you know just a bunch of humans at the wheel
1: both things read road signs and, and road materials so i, I I don't understand how this is any different than painting a parking space on the road and then going, ha ha, I confused a human by getting them to park in a bad place by
0: just painting a sign on the road that said parking. Sure. This is not something where I look at this as like a crazy call for Tesla to have a, a massive recall or something like that. Like, first of all, they've patched the software at this point. I don't know. Okay, so let's let's spin this a little bit differently. I love this type of story from the point of view that there are groups of people out there who are trying to find the vulnerabilities in automated vehicles this is fantastic like this is the type of stuff that should be getting done this is effectively penetration testing for for automobiles right like how can we make this thing break how can we make this device which purports to be safe and and intelligent look like an idiot and potentially cause harm and so i, I love this like we need more of this yeah the um the, the technology that this runs
1: off they they managed to make like small pixel level changes to an image as well and then trick the car into thinking it was raining which is kind of
0: cool that's it's that's great i like this i like this story all right matt why don't we switch over to the big topic uh the big topic actually sort of dovetails nicely into our guest this week uh so we'll touch on some of the same stuff that that our guest will talk about too but uh matt the big topic is VPN. So it's something that we always get asked about. Um, mainly, can you
1: recommend one? And it's, it's such a crazy market at the moment. Like It seems like everybody has a VPN um, and, and everybody thinks it's the cure-all for everything. And I think that's because like VPNs get a lot
0: of marketing money. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. So a VPN, let's let's step back for a second and actually tell people what this is. VPN stands for virtual private network, and it's a service that lets you access the Web safely and privately from any Internet connection. So you can go to your local coffee shop, which probably has an unprotected Wi-Fi connection. And so you can then connect to a VPN and uh, this would be a service that you just pay for, or maybe you've you know you've set it up yourself, and it basically routes all of your network traffic through a remote server uh, and not through the open Wi-Fi of the coffee shop that you're in. Uh, so it creates like a, a secure tunnel by which you can access the outside world without exposing any of your information to to anyone else who may be on the network or maybe has compromised the network in some way. Yeah, I mean, it kind of brings me onto the question, like. What
1: do VPNs protect against?
0: Yeah, I mean, like VPNs are definitely a step in the right direction to help your online security, but they're not a cure for everything. Even with strong encryption on the server itself, uh, the hosting data center, like the place where your traffic is actually going through, uh, could potentially monitor incoming and outgoing traffic. Uh, So it really depends on how much you trust the provider of the VPN service or the service on which they are built there can be limitations to you know to the type of vpn technology used uh you know there's a number of protocols some are better than others like that that's a that's a really important point simply using
1: https provides a ton of cover for a lot of these things. And a lot of your
0: use cases are usually covered by HTTPS. That's true. And, and you'll actually hear our guest, uh, Scott Helm, talk about this later. Uh, you know, Scott and I get into a little bit of this. You know, what, are, what are VPNs and what do they protect against? And, and how you know, can we just use HTTPS instead?
1: So what should we be looking for when we you know, are looking for a VPN? This is
0: why I have a hard time with the question of what service do you recommend? Uh, because there's so many different factors and I use a VPN service the company was actually started up by some friends of one password and so the fact that I knew the people that were starting the company sort of gave me a lot of trust in the service they were providing because they weren't some faceless corporation that was routing my traffic through some unknown server somewhere I mean I, I knew the people now. That is not a reasonable thing to ask, is that you go and meet the people who are running your VPN company. There are, however, a few sort of key things that you can look at when when choosing a VPN provider. You know, you want to look for for how your data is being encrypted. One of the first things that you can look for is is the AES algorithm. This this is sort of a measure of how strongly encrypted your information will be as it passes through the the VPN you want at least 128 bits of encryption. Uh, Many of the top VPNs out there will go a step beyond that and offer AES-256. And if you can get it, That's great. IP leaks, internet protocol leaks, are also a known vulnerability. Uh, The best VPNs have some clever scripts programmed into their apps that minimize this risk, so look, look for these. Some VPNs also have this great feature called a kill switch. This automatically kills your internet access if the encrypted, safe connection should ever drop. In fact, the one that I use has this, and it's really cool. Whenever I'm on a network and it can't secure the connection... Uh, it it blocks it blocks service and this is this is really yeah cool. I
1: think on the trust of the company you you have to um, you have to just do a little bit of research but like don't get lost in it because it's it's
0: not everything right right one of the things that is is worth noting is that the use of a VPN is not going to make or break your online security more and more sites are going towards HTTPS. Uh, which does provide a great deal of security over the communication between you and the website that you're interacting with. Um, it's really just another tool in your internet security tool belt when you are on a network that you're not sure of, and that's open Wi-Fi connections, you know, coffee shops and, and other sort of public Wi-Fi hotspots uh, that you could, you, you know, you're not sure what you're getting into if, when you connect to them. If you have to connect to the internet through them a VPN is a good way to sort of increase uh, the security that you you might otherwise not have.
1: Yeah, the Electronic Frontier Foundation said something very good when they said, like, some VPNs with exemplary privacy policies could actually be run by devious people. Right? Yeah, there's a link uh, just under it to Unarvo's privacy policy, which was the one that
0: uh, Facebook launched. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Listen, I can't say which VPN service to recommend But I can 100% tell you not to use that one. Yep. So joining us today, we have Scott Helm. Scott is the founder of Security Headers and Report URI. He's a hacker, a researcher, a builder of things. Scott, thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So Scott, uh, why are you here? Where would people know you from? What, uh, what should people know about you?
2: I guess most people probably know me from the Twitters. Uh, I'm quite active on, on social media. Uh, I'm talking about all things security. I have quite a, a focus on encryption as well. So like security slash uh, encryption things as you mentioned i built security headers which is um it's doing quite well actually now i'm really happy with that we're getting quite a a regular bit of traffic so it's like a free website analysis tool you just go to securityheaders.com, punch in your domain hit scan and it does like a super quick analysis of your website for you and report your eye as well it's our kind of little mini startup that we're getting off the ground right now so those are probably the big things. Um, done a little bit of TV stuff. Really fortunate, actually, to have done that. Oh, that's very, very cool. Uh, like in an, in an acting
0: capability or like uh, like an interview position?
2: Yeah, so kind of like interviewee. I'm, <laughs> I'm what they call the talking head. So when uh, yes. they have like a, you know, some big companies got hacked and we need a talking head that knows about security. <laughs> so that's the very endearing term that they use internally for for the experts uh, quote, that they bring in to talk about these things. So yeah, I do just, you know, like pass comments on news articles, a little bit of verification to see if things are as, you know, bad or as good as companies are making out. <laughs> nice, nice. Talk
0: to us a little bit, give give people a little bit of a background uh, in like content security policies.
2: Yeah. So this is uh, I mean if you follow me on Twitter already, people will probably know that I talk a lot about CSP. So uh, content security policy, the idea of it has been around for many, many years now, but it's really started to gain traction indefinitely, like the last two to four years, I would say. And originally it was a mechanism that was kind of designed and built to stop something called cross-site scripting. So uh, like super simple attack would be like you have a comment section on your corporate website. Someone leaves a comment and they write a script tag in the comment that pops alerts and does stuff. And you end up with horrible JavaScript in your web page that you didn't want. And CSP allows you to control every piece of content that can load in your site. And with the ability to take control of every image, style, font and script, you can obviously take control of exactly what does does not happen, so it's a really powerful uh, security mechanism. That's really really cool. Uh, so Scott, tell me a little bit about security headers. Like, where did that come from, and, and sort of how did that how did that come to be? Yeah, so security headers is one of these projects of mine that, and I, I I guess like other developers slash builder slash tinkerers will will really kind of hopefully resonate with this. It's like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if someone like built this thing, and it'll be an awesome little side project, and I'll spend like you know one weekend on it. <laughs> And then, <laughs> uh, I know where this is going already. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and then like years later, you're just like, what happened? <laughs> and then we're on a podcast five years later and someone's asking me about this project. Talking about your, your weekend project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one weekend project that I did that one time. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and it it literally was like a little weekend project thing that I whipped together many, many years ago now. And I was playing a lot with content security policy at the time. And I was like, hey, like, you know, if I want to see if a website has a CSP, I have to go to the site, open the dev tools, like refresh the page and then inspect the headers in the dev tools requests. and I was just like, oh, man, this is really not easy. And then there's multiple security headers as well, not just content security policy. So, you know, you're kind of like reading all this raw text output in the dev tools. And I was just like, now nah, I'm just going to knock together a little page that, you know, I can type in a website and it will just scan it and present all of the information that I need. And I built this thing and then I put a domain on the front of it and I was like, hey, I may as well just open this up and other people can use it. And now we're doing like millions of scans a month. That's amazing.
0: Now, I know that if I were listening to the show right now, I would be wondering, where do I go? Because I want to try it on
2: my website right now. So what's the domain for this? So just uh, securityheaders.com. Super, super simple. You just go there, punch in uh, like your domain, onepassword.com, whatever it might be. Hit the scan button. Should take maybe two seconds on a busy day. And then you should have like a nice little report card um, kind of thing in front of you. Very nice. Yes. A plus for us, it turns out. There we go. That's the best you can be, the best you can do. So that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. That's
0: really cool. I like this a lot. All right, let's let's move on to uh, to VPNs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of press and hype talking about VPNs these days. You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of hype that VPNs are the solution to several security issues. So, where where do you come down on that? And who do you typically recommend a VPN for and
2: when? Yeah, this is a really tough one. So. Uh, like there's a couple of like distinct parts to break it up into and like VPNs are a very hot topic in the UK right now. So I'd like them um, just to kind of put like the, the correct light on this from my perspective in the UK, they're bringing some new laws very soon where if you want to go to like a, a porn website, you basically have to register and, and like provide government ID to prove your age. Wow. So essentially these websites are going to become like aggregators of like government ID documents for UK citizens and obviously also a database of who likes what. And this is like a really uh, volatile topic. I've been on the news here in the UK a few times about this. And one of the things that always comes up is a VPN because the companies that run these websites are like, hey, we don't want this database of people's information because this is like super sensitive information. Given the nature of our website, it will make us a target and like we don't really want to do this and the government's like really hard on this legislation right now they're really pushing this so it's like the 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 thing that it keeps coming back to is like well people are just going to vpn out of the country and we're going to see this explosive growth in vpns in the uk because people will want to bypass this like content filtering i guess this this age requirement proof of identity thing so there's like a lot of common misconception about them they do provide security benefits you know if i'm in a if I'm I travel a lot for, for various bits of my roles and public speaking, so if I'm in like an airport or a, a hotel or a conference center, I will always be using my VPN. Not, you know, and again, like I don't want to oversell this. I'm not saying like there's people around me attacking me all the time and you know, realistically there's probably not, but it just gives me that layer of security when I'm traveling that's really, really easy. So I feel like I'm I'm better doing it because it's really easy rather than because I face like some crucial threat that might catch me at any one time for sure yeah it's not it's not within your personal threat model to be
0: attacked while on travel but uh, it, it might be someone's opportunistic attack vector to just hack a public Wi-Fi spot or something
2: exactly yeah I think like the the thing that most people miss and what you're hinting at there is a little bit of threat modeling it's like you know <laughs> realistically is someone following me around the world trying to steal my stuff like absolutely not I, I really don't think that's the case however is a VPN easy to use? Yes, it's like a click of a button. And does it offer some protection? Yes, it does. So for me, it's more like a, it's more good hygiene than fixing a specific threat. For sure. How do you think VPNs play into the equation when
0: more and more sites are moving towards HTTPS to secure their communications by default Uh, this is something that that i know apple has been pushing uh for a few years now is really trying to drive drive app providers and, and and website publishers to to switch their traffic over to https isn't that good enough like does if if you're if you're browsing over https you don't really need
2: a VPN. Is that a is that an accurate statement or is that inflammatory? I guess it depends really what your target is because like whether or not a VPN is a solution for you depends on what your your actual objective was. So I know that Facebook is HTTPS like all the time and the, the traffic is secure, but someone could still see that I'm using Facebook. That that's the part that we can't hide yet. Uh, so they can't see that I've sent you a message or what that says, but they know that I was doing something on Facebook. So a VPN would shield that from the people close around me. So arguably, like, the VPN does give you a small privacy improvement there. The H- HTTPS, again, is, like, not a silver bullet to all problems. It's It definitely provides, uh, like, secrecy between, you know, me and Facebook. But it, it doesn't stop someone seeing that I'm still talking to Facebook. And if that wasn't Facebook and it was some political website or a website of an adult nature of a certain variety, you know, like, there's still potentially valuable information that people can see, even though we're using HTTPS. For sure. For sure. There's been some press recently
0: around vulnerabilities that have been detected with HTTPS saying it's not necessarily as,
2: as secure as, as it claims to be. Do you have any thoughts on that? I saw a Wired headline recently that I was a little bit kind of put out by. It was um, essentially along these lines that HTTPS isn't always secure as it seems. I'm just quickly Googling that now. And, you know, like I, I agree and disagree with this at the same time. And that's such a cop-out answer, I know. No, no, it's okay. I mean, like we've we've had this same problem for ages where people see secure in the address bar and, you know, they think that it means a lot more than it means. Right. It, it kind of does what it it's intended to do. I think there's like a real misconception about what people understand it's supposed to do. This all comes back to, I guess, really like user education and people not understanding the nuances. And and that's like a really difficult thing for us to address as, as technologists. Yes, absolutely. Uh, user education is, is one
0: of the most challenging parts of being a software developer, uh, especially when it comes to topics like this. You can't always anchor them in sort of like a, a practical a practical conversation. You know, we've been talking a lot about the stuff today just through analogies and, and examples and stuff like that. And that's that's fine. But to sort of give an overarching, concise description of, of what these various things are and what they do, it's very, very difficult.
2: I think, yeah, we do need to to get better at this. I'm liking the stunts that some of the browsers are taking around Actually trying to tell the user this stuff. So we've seen in both Firefox and Chrome recently they're they're dialing back these like the green indicator and in the padlock and all of these positive UI kind of features. And they're dialing those back because we've we've also kind of eroded the value of them because they're almost ever present now. So they've essentially just become that warning that you ignore because it's there all the time. Exactly. <laughs> and we are starting to see like the rise of the bad ones where it says, you know, this thing is not secure and and kind of you know if we're thinking about it really like that's the only thing i care about i don't care if everything's okay i only care when something's not okay (laughs) so just tell me just tell
0: me about that part and those work i use safari as my main browser and i've come across where safari will just put up a big banner or a big splash in the middle of the page instead of loading the page and says like this is a page that is known to have served malware do you still want to go here and i'm like (laughs) No,
2: no, I'm good. I'm going to go elsewhere. Thanks. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Thank you for that very clear and useful information. I think I will just not do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I do like the way that we're going. And, you know, we seem to in security as a whole and in the areas specifically where I work and looking at the ecosystem, kind of like from the broader picture, we... We are making progress in in this space. Like we're at the start of the progress. Don't get me wrong. We have a long way to go. But I am I am liking the fact that we seem to be getting better at security, especially with the the user interaction part. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Let's uh, let's take a, a little different turn here. Um, I hear that you've got a a tour that you're bringing to the UK. It's called Hack Yourself First,
2: and it's with our with our friend Troy Hunt. Uh, tell us about this a little bit. Yeah, so I'm super excited about this. I've been running a training course of about encryption for a few years now. And kind of alongside that, I, I'm really good friends with Troy, known him for a long time. He's actually the investor in Report URI with my startup. And he's been doing his Hack Yourself First training course, which is a two-day kind of like red teaming slash hacking, you know, a little bit of fun in there, 50-50 theory, like hands-on practical. So it was just like such a well-received course. Everyone that I saw it you know go on it was like this is just awesome and I was like hey you know like we should we should partner up like we're literally on opposite ends of the world and you know at first like totally understandably like super protective of his of the brand that he's put just put so much hard work into building and I totally get that you know we kind of like talked it through I get I get kind of like you know good feedback and he was like all right well you know we'll give this a whirl we'll uh we'll do this yeah, did a couple privately went really well. These are all kind of like private workshops. So we go into a company and they'd grab like thirty, you know, developers or technical staff, whoever they may be, and, and we'd have the two day course, and that was great. But it basically means only kind of like big companies can do it right because you've got to have enough people to to put in the room to make to make it make financial sense so sure yeah i was like you know the one thing that i would love to do is a public one where we just open this up for literally anybody like one person two people small team of five you know they don't have to make that big commitment to a full-blown training course they can buy like individual tickets so yeah, we've, uh, we've scouted the UK. We found the venues and everything else. We've launched the dates. That's coming at the back end of June and July. And we're running three uh, top to bottom of the UK. I mean, they're, they're out there now. Tickets are on sale. They're, they're going well. I think, yeah, it's. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing it. What sorts of things will people take away from this Hack Yourself First experience? So the course uh, we kind of like have a, a you know bit of a, an introductory section at the beginning, and essentially it's the goal of the course is to to make that introductory level to security for like developers or technical staff, and this kind of ties in with my own personal experiences, which is why I moved into training. In that, I don't think we can have a security team in a company and just have like five people that have all the security knowledge. We need to kind of take that security knowledge and just start sprinkling it around the organization. And this course really, for me, forms part of that in that it gives you that, you know, that kind of like baseline security experience and knowledge. So we look at uh, things like SQL injection, cross site scripting, cross site request forgery, all of these really common attacks that are, are consistently OWASP top 10 attacks for web applications. Uh, we go through the theory behind them. Then we get hands on with an actual kind of, you know, physical attack. So we host a web application online that attendees can attack and and, and successfully break. <laughs> and then at the end, we do like a retrospective on like, you know, this is what happened. This is why it happened. Now, how do we fix that? And then we talk about the resolution for the problem, the prevention. And I guess like that, that's the, the true value is that how do we fix this now that we know how it got broke? Wow, that's that sounds really, really valuable and really cool. That sounds like a ton of fun
0: too. Uh, you mentioned tickets are on sale. Where can people go to buy tickets?
2: So if you head over to scotthelm.co.uk there is uh, my upcoming dates on the right hand side of the page there. You can just click through to uh, whichever event you're interested in and information on how to buy tickets is there. Very, very cool. Well, Scott, I think that that just about covers it for today. Where
0: can people go to follow you online? Where else can people get more scott helm
2: (laughs) so yeah my website is probably the main place obviously i i I regularly blog on different topics there it also links through to my other projects and my social but the big one's probably twitter at scott underscore helm is me and yeah those are those are probably the main ones to cover it very cool scott thank you so much no worries thank you Okay,
1: Rue, it's uh, one of my favorite parts of the show. Okay. But I I think, first of all, that we should mention, we launched a competition last show. It's going to run until next show, so we'll, we'll announce the winner for that then. But if you are listening to this and not the last one, then we launched a competition where you need to come up with a phrase that is a local phrase to you, like you need to go and find one, not make it up. And you can tweet us that with the hashtag wanttheshirt. And
0: we're giving away a shirt, um, some stickers, and a gift card. Very cool. There's a link in our show rundown where one of us can click this to find out what this means. Have you clicked it yet? Because I have not yet. I haven't. Anna has written it all in capitals. One of you click this link to find out what it means all in caps. So so here's the deal. Uh, Neither of us are going to click this link to start. We are going to try and figure out what this means and then we will both click through and see just how terribly wrong we were. We have a Russian phrase today. I know. I love this. I will show you where lobsters spend the winter. There's so many parts of this phrase to unpack. I just love it. Like I don't even care what it means. I just love that it's a thing. Lobsters don't like hot water, right? That's correct. I mean, I love
1: lobsters in hot water. I prepared lobster at Christmas and it was the worst, like, oh, it was like full of little bits and
0: uh, it was gross. Oh, see, I I love eating lobster i hate cooking lobster because i do feel bad my daughter this year like for my birthday we went to the store to buy a bunch of lobsters to cook up and eat for dinner and she saw them in the tank and she named one and then decided that she wasn't going to eat it for dinner <laughs> you still have this lobster just living in your pond oh no we left it at the store oh okay i said well in that case i'm buying three lobster not four <laughs> and, and i <laughs> i will eat one and your brother will eat one and your mother will have one and you can have mac and cheese and she did uh, I will show you where lobsters spend the winter.
1: I think it's going to be the coldest part. It's it's about going to the like
0: coldest part of somewhere. I will show you where lobsters spend the winter. <sighs> I think that this is like I'm gonna I'm gonna show you where the good stuff is. Like I'm listen, I know just the spot to go. Oh yeah, that sounds that sounds like it. Like, do you have any dinner recommendations? Oh. I, I will show you where lobsters spend the winter. I can't do the not Don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. Uh, All right. I'm going to click it. All right. Yeah, me too. Me too. Let's, let's figure this out. This is essentially a threat. Whoa. Whoa. It's like I'm going to put you in the ground. Like, oh, no. <gasps> this is not what we thought, Matt. This is dangerous. <laughs> this is far off. I mean, I wasn't the one who said it in a Russian accent. Stop or else. Oh. You know, I watched John Wick for the first time yesterday, and not once did I hear one of the Russian mobsters in that movie say to John, I will show you where lobsters spend the winter. Probably because they
1: would have said it in Russian.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I didn't hear them say that local phrase in Russian, but translated magically into English for me. (laughs) Well, everything was subtitled (laughs) Yatebe pokazu gde raki zimyut. I just offended somebody, 100%. <laughs> All right, Rue. I think we have offended enough people there. I think we've, we're going to have to bring it to a close. All right. Love you, Rue. Love you too, Matt. Bye-bye. Bye.